Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere, every day. We believe this will require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified together in a region and collaborating around five key initiatives. These initiatives uh, are outlined in the book of Acts in chapter 13 and 14 as Luke records Paul's missionary work. And they are citywide prayer, leader health, disciple making, serving the city together, and starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. Presently, we're spending some time on the initiative of disciple making. And I have the privilege to speak with um, a friend of mine, a co-laborer in the Soma family, who is not only a church planter, but a effective disciple maker himself, and a really, really good equipper. I mean, if you're ever looking for someone to train you in how to live this out, how to work out disciple making in everyday life, how to start and strengthen missional communities that can multiply, this is one of the guys I would highly recommend. So. Chris, uh, his name is Chris Sinusol. Chris, I'm so glad you're with us. Uh, Chris and his wife, Kelly, and their children, four children live in Victoria, British Columbia. Um, that's in Canada for those of you who are in the, the States, if you're not aware. <laughs> uh, they planted a church. Uh, they've been planting missional communities for the past 13 years. And like I said, Chris is not only a practitioner, but incredibly gifted communicator and trainer. So Chris, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, it's great to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, I'd love it if you would tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work you guys have been doing in Victoria. Yeah. So uh, quick, quick snapshot of my story that may be, may be just helpful for um, kind of how God's wired me. Uh, didn't grow up in a church family, a Christian family. I uh, met Jesus when I was uh, 17 through a, <clears throat> through a, it wasn't a missional community because uh, you hadn't written the book yet, but uh, it was a missional community because that's what the church is. It was just a, a youth pastor who had a real heart to see uh, kids in the neighborhood meet Jesus. And they the church building that I walked by thousands of times growing up, but had never noticed. One day I was told they had Friday night drop-in basketball and I walked in to shoot hoops and uh, met uh, this youth pastor, Jack. And long story short, through that relationship, I ended up giving my life to Jesus, um, but never really uh, understood uh, like um, like church churchianity. I guess I would say, you know, and I don't. I'm not trying to speak pejorative of of the church, but just it wasn't a part of my DNA or my my ethos growing up. I didn't know the songs. I just didn't understand. And so um, I've always been a little bit on the the outside of the the kind of the church culture. And so even when I was uh, again, this is a the, the Cliff Notes version of my story, but uh, even when I was studying uh, in seminary to to get into vocational ministry, I really had no interest in being a pastor. But on the weekends, I worked uh, like at a nightclub um, in a in a university pub where people would come in and pay w way not enough money for way too much alcohol, and um, and it was just like it was for me that was my my felt like at least my pastoral education, um, just trying to figure out how to be Jesus. I remember sitting in the beer cooler before my shift started. And my first duty was to count how much beer was in the beer cooler at the beginning of the night and how much was at the end of the night, just to make sure we, you know, we didn't get any stolen. And I remember sitting in the beer cooler, you know, usually, um, usually sitting covered, you know, or surrounded by 
you know, several hundred beer cases and, uh, and just praying that Jesus would, uh, would use me that night. And he did. And it was some great opportunities to, to make him known in that environment. And uh, that just really kind of informed how I viewed what it meant to follow Jesus. So even when I got into like vocational ministry, I got a job at a church. Uh, our youth ministry was very evangelistic in nature, very outreach oriented. We were in a small church um, in, in Surrey at the time. Uh, but we had a large student ministry. It was almost, uh, you know, half the size of the whole church. And most of the kids were from the community. And I think, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate this at the time, but it was just the way that God had wired me to care deeply for those who were far from him. And I think that was just a connection to my story. So fast forward a few years after that, um, we we moved to Victoria and we're working in a church uh, here. A big church ministry was going well. And uh, we I had this moment where I was sitting in a gym again around basketball. Basketball is a huge part of my story as well, even to this day. But I was sitting in a gym playing some drop-in basketball. A group of 25 were in there. It was my first or maybe second time in there. And I remember looking around, and I don't know where this question came from, Jeff. <laughs> you know, I think it might have just been the Holy Spirit just really just pricking my heart and moving me in a, the direction he wanted me to go. But I remember him asking me, what would it take for one of these people to show up to 4347 Wilkinson Road at 911 or 6? 4347 Wilkinson Road was the address of the church I worked at the time. 911 and 6 were the times that our church gathered for worship. And the only answer I could come up with was, um, well, either the Holy Spirit would have to reach down and drag them there, which does happen from time to time, thanks be to God. Uh, or they would have to get like a really bad like prognosis from a doctor or something. Something terrible would have to happen. And, you know, by God's grace, they would know a Christian who would invite them to hear hear the gospel. And I just thought to myself, gosh, that first of all, that's a long shot for any of these folks. Second of all, it's a terrible missional strategy for the church. I realize I'm oversimplifying it, but but it really did. It really did compel me. Um, and it began this process where I realized like this group of people needs a missionary. Like this is a tribe. This group of people is a tribe. Uh, you know, they have this basketball community here in the city I live in, in Victoria, has a culture. They have rhythms. They have language. They have times they meet, places they hang out, things they do. And they need a missionary to come into this tribe who can embody the gospel and incarnate their community and tell them about the hope of Jesus. And uh, that began a journey for my wife and I of just realizing that Victoria, you know, and I realize every church planter needs to say this, but it really is one of the least church cities in North America, less than 3%. These are pre-COVID numbers, actually, less than 3% of Victoria's in any church gathering for worship on Sunday. That includes mainline denominations and extremely liberal denominations that have, for the most part, abandoned orthodoxy. And so we set out to plant a church uh, 12 years ago. And, and for us, planting a church, uh, you know, our, our heart's desire was not to try and figure out how do we get the city of Victoria to come to the church service, but how do we get Christians? How do we train, equip, build up, and send Christians to go into the city uh, to, to actually live out what it means to be the church amongst those who are lost people, lost people don't know Jesus, tribes, communities, neighborhoods, networks all over our city, just like this one basketball community. And so we've been trying to figure that out for the last 12 years. And uh, some days it, it's real, real sweet. And other days it's real uh, challenging and frustrating. Mm, man. Well, I'm so thankful that you stepped out in faith to do that. And you, 
like I said in the intro, I, I'd really do uh, see an, a fruitfulness and effectiveness in the ministry you've engaged in. You guys really have been a great example of this to so many. So thank you again for what you're doing. And I know that you did it because you want to and you love it and you, you get great joy out of it. I am curious, um, you know, you talked about Victoria, but let's just talk briefly about the whole country of Canada. Like, what is the state of the church in Canada? How are things going? What's it really like there in terms of your experience? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly no expert, so I would encourage everyone to do, you know, their own research on any of the stats I throw out or any of the, the comments I might make. Some of this will be rooted in statistic and some of it somewhat anecdotal, but on the whole... Uh, especially on the other side of COVID, things are, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty bleak, to be perfectly honest. Um, when you look across uh, the country, the, there just isn't, like the, the metrics you would be looking for in terms of seeing like vibrancy and health are just not there. So uh, just to give you some context, in, in 2010, roughly 20% of Canadians would have identified as evangelical. That doesn't necessarily mean they were practicing. That doesn't necessarily mean they were going to church, but they would have on like our census data info ticked the box that they identify as some form of like Orthodox conservative Christian. In 2016, that number had dropped to 12%. And now in 2021, that's less than 5%. Um, and so we see this like steep decline of uh, people who are willing to even identify as followers of Jesus. And then on the other side of that statistic, of course, and, and you probably heard these things said in, in other, uh, with regards to other contexts, but like none is officially the largest uh, religious category in Canada. In British Columbia, just for context, uh, so this would be province by province. I'm not sure on the whole national level what the number is, but in British Columbia, 52% of British Columbians checked none on on their 2021 census so that makes that category the the largest um the largest religious category none so uh it's it's pretty it's pretty um, bleak and, and we're seeing this reality where uh you know like bible colleges for example are shrinking uh we we regularly get like i just got a letter in the mail from the bible college i graduated from going like Hey, if you know anyone that is in your church that's in the early 20s and, and you know loves Jesus, please send them to us. So colleges are shrinking. Uh, some of them are closing down. There's a huge problem, and again, this is somewhat anecdotal, but um, like just trying to find vocational leaders for churches, they cannot be found. It used to be you would have a, a you know staff opening in your church, you would promote it on your website, maybe a church staffing website through your denomination. You get floods of resumes. You'd sift through those resumes. You'd hire someone. Well, now it's the opposite. Now it's you have floods of churches looking for youth pastors, associate pastors, lead pastors, and there's nobody applying. So I've heard of entire denominations here in British Columbia where there's like 17 openings in one application on file because there's just no there's no pastors to take those those jobs. This this is interesting and this is extremely anecdotal, but the CBC, which is our uh, you know, it's 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 media that is funded by the government here. They posted an article. Uh, of, this was probably close to a year ago, where they said that evangelicals are the number one greatest threat to what it means to truly be Canadian, ahead of 
Muslims. <laughs> you know, wow. Pretty crazy. Oh my goodness. It's pretty crazy. So, and I guess you have to take that with a grain of salt. Like, I don't know how they're determining that. I don't know what kind of statistics were given. I, like, I don't know, but, but that's what the headline read. That's what the article read. And so there's just a huge, huge problem in Canada where there is, there's a lack of disciple making. In fact, I have a friend who, um, he left and went church planted in Eastern Europe, came back working for the organization that he had planted with. And his job with them was to recruit other planters to go overseas to plant from Canada for their organization. And he eventually um, quit slash lost his job because he couldn't recruit anybody. And the reason he cited for not being able to recruit anybody was that he couldn't find people in, like he could find missionaries that want to go overseas and do um, service projects um, you know, social kind of missional work, but to go over and like m- the hard work of disciple making, he couldn't find anyone to do it. And he surmised that like the pipeline is dry and we have to actually get like, we have to go further up the pipe and get into the churches and try and figure out how do we actually like train our people to make disciples so that we actually have some disciple makers here in Canada, so that we actually have some disciple makers that we could potentially, by God's grace, send somewhere else. Wow. So, I, I mean, I don't want to overstate it. There's lots of really good things that are happening in Canada. Jesus is Lord over his church. He's building it. There's good stuff. There's, there is some church planting happening, but but it is, yeah, it, it is uh, not in a good state as far as I'm concerned. Man. Well, so in light of that, since really the the core problem is if we don't have churches that are training people to make be disciples who make disciples so that we can actually raise up more leaders, start more churches, send more overseas missionaries, like the fundamental problem, which is true, by the way, I think consistently in the Western church, whether it's Canada, the United States, Mexico, Europe, I mean, everyone would say the biggest problem is we don't have people that know how to be disciples who make disciples. So that's, that is the thing, the drum we beat like crazy within the Soma family. It's the drum we're beating through Saturate and all the things we're trying to help the church do. How have you stepped into that? Like, what have you found to be effective means for really equipping disciples to be disciple makers? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be like overly simplistic, but I'm just going to put the cookies on the bottom shelf here for a second. It's one of the things I love about you too, Chris. Like anytime I've heard you train, it's just like it's it's honest, it's real, it's accessible, yeah. and you also tell the truth about how challenging it is and how it doesn't always work well. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. And so, so here's what I'd say. Like honestly, one of the first questions I ask people when when I'm just having these kinds of conversations, you know, church leaders in particular, like vocational church leaders, is like. How how does your church define what a disciple is? Like if you were just to like, you know, do a blind poll or whatever, I could get all your staff in room 101 or whoever, core leaders, leadership team elders, whatever you got going on, and just ask like how, how what is the definition, the working definition that your church uses for a disciple, like what a disciple is? Honestly, Jeff, like nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, the answer like is we don't have one. We don't have one. I think that I think most people could give like a theological answer to that to be sure, but like a unified um, definition that we all have agreed on, that we all understand, that we're all working towards, it's just not there. And so, the, to me, the next then obvious question is: Well, if you don't know what a disciple is, how do you actually know what you're aiming at? Like as a church, like if our goal as followers of Jesus is to be a disciple-making community, I think that's like. You know, it's sort of the the, e, the big E on the eye chart, the bullseye on the, on the dartboard or whatever. 
like how do we know if we're actually making them? And I and I think God's grace covers a multitude of of our you know pastoral inadequacies and sins, but but I think answering that question, like doing the hard work of like reading the gospels, you know, and going like, okay, what did Jesus actually mean when he said, come follow me and I'll teach you to be fishers of men? Working out what that definition is. And then to me, the, the next question that you need to answer is, okay, if that's what a disciple is, what are we going to do to make sure that our church community is producing more and more and more and more and more of those? And whatever whatever isn't going to produce that or is going to impede that or possibly even distract from that, I think we need to consider eliminating it. And I think we need to consider going all in on whatever it is. And, and I've got my own ideas. So do you. Lots of people do. But whatever it is that is going to produce that kind of disciple, like that's what we need to double down on and, and triple down on. So basically, if I could just summarize it, it's what is a disciple and how is one made? Those questions need to be like, they need to be answered by the church. Yes. And we have a uh, an offering that we've been working out with churches uh, this last year called a, a DML, a Disciple Making Lab. It's like a one-year journey. And the very beginning, we just say, okay, whenever you take a journey, you got to know the destination. You got to have a map to help you get there. You got to know the vehicle you're going to take. And then you got to have tools if to make it all work, you know? And so when, by that, we say like destination is your definition of a disciple, map is the pathway and and experiences you're going to provide the vehicle is in our case it's oftentimes a missional community we think is the primary organizing structure to make it happen and then the tools are all those things that you're giving people the skills to do so they can actually go live it out and i, I find as we sit down with churches similar to what you just said they don't have a definition they don't have a pathway they're not even sure what the vehicle is but everybody would have to admit they've been living like sunday is the primary vehicle right. But when they're honest about it, Sunday doesn't have the kind of tools in it to actually help people become disciple-making disciples. So it's like, oh my goodness, what have we been doing? What journey have we been on? What map have we followed? Like we've been riding a vehicle that maybe needs a complete overhaul. Right, right. And I think I think for, for us, like that then becomes like answering those questions and gives you a framework through which to evaluate everything else you're doing. So for us, the, like the probably the number one question we we ask when we're wondering if we should be doing something or not is what is the disciple making fruit of this decision going to be? Mm. Um, so like just a really like, this is a little bit crass, but well, uh, yeah, it's a little bit crass. Well, let's go for it. And you can edit it out if you don't like it. Um, uh, like the alpha program, like we've been asked many times from the alpha program and we've considered it many times, but we've always decided not to do it. Not because we don't think alpha is a great tool. I've served in alpha programs. I've been a part of churches that run alpha programs. We actually have missional communities or missionaries actually that are using Alpha as a tool on mission. But we made the decision as a whole church that that was not something we were going to do because what we didn't want to do was create an environment where our people felt like it was their job to invite their non-believing friends to come to a room to hear a man on a video tell their friends about Jesus. Again, I don't think the Alpha program is bad. I don't think it's something i think lots of churches should use it if that's how the spirit's leading them i know lots of people have met jesus through alpha but for us we actually want to equip our people for, for we want them to realize your life is our alpha program like we run alpha like right in your neighborhood it's called you <laughs> you know and so we want to equip you to actually be able to live a life that demands a gospel explanation and then explain the gospel to people and actually 
enter into a disciple-making relationship with whoever God's called you to live amongst and, and you know, uh, follow Jesus amongst. In the same way Jesus invited you to come follow him, we want you to invite others to come follow you while you're following Jesus. Yes. Yeah, done. Mike Trump. <laughs> That's it. Podcast <laughs> over. Over. <laughs> it's that simple. Yeah. <laughs> and yet and the the reality of that, right, is that it is on one hand really simple, and yet there are, there are barriers, there are real challenges, there are struggles. Um, and I guess I, I'd love to highlight some of that before we talk about maybe some of the success stories that you've seen. But like in light of it being, in like you said, kind of that simple, what are the challenges? Why, why aren't people living it out? Why isn't the church moving in this direction from your perspective? Yeah. I Maybe mean, even just real yeah. stories or challenges you've seen. I think, there's, I think there's lots of reasons. I think that, I, honestly, I think a huge one is because they've been discipled in a completely other way for a very long time. So I think a huge part of this is, you know, if, if you're a church leader listening to this and you're like, yes, I'm going to change everything next week, we're going to start doing everything differently. It's like, well, it probably needs to start with just an acknowledgement that for the last long, long, long time, people have been discipled in a completely different way, right? Like we've elevated like vocational clergy, like you talked about Sunday centric ministry, the preaching moment, which I, I mean, I, our church meets on Sunday. I'm preaching a sermon this week, you know, uh, and I get paid to do what I do. So I'm, I'm down with all those things, but it's the, it's that we've placed those things like as a, such a significant part of the, the church. Uh, experience that people have been discipled into thinking ministry is, um, you know, again, this is a little bit crass and, and I, I love all forms of church just to be like 1000% clear, but it's a little bit of like the genius with a thousand helpers, you know, like ministry is uh, working a soundboard or handing out a bulletin or pastoring an offering plate. And I think those things are ministry and we have those things that happen in our church, but we have to have like a, a much broader definition of ministry. And the problem is we haven't. And so people have been discipled into thinking like, sort of this bare minimum is expected of me. And once I've done that, I've checked the boxes and I'm a part of a small group. I give a little bit. I serve in the kids ministry or in some ministry team. And and that's what it means to be a, a part of the church. And that's what it means to do ministry. And so you just imagine if someone's been doing that for like a long time, it's not going to take a minute for them to totally be re-discipled in a new way. It takes time to unlearn and relearn and so I think that's a huge barrier. Um, I mean, I could riff on that for a long time. I think a huge barrier for us, at least in Victoria, is just the reality of like wealthy, like apathy. Uh, we're very comfortable. If you've ever been to Vancouver Island, like it's crazy beautiful. It's an awesome place to live. Uh, there's not a ton of tangible needs unless you're like in the downtown core working with the, the inner, you know, city homeless population. And so there's just a bit of an apathy amongst um, even the church, like like kind of, you know, what Tim Keller would call sleepy Christians, you know, just kind of happy to show up and do their time or whatever. And so that's just a challenge. Uh, it is, it, those are those are significant barriers to ministry that we see. And, and then like just the reality that like the mission field here, and I don't think, again, you know, like I'm not trying to paint Victoria as like the hardest place to do ministry, but... It, but it is hard. It is hard to do ministry in this city. There is a a uh, a real secular tone here. Uh, there is again wealth and apathy uh, towards spirit, an openness to spiritual things, but a wealth and apathy to like a neediness for God. Mm. And so, like we see people that 
toil and labor for years in relationship and see very little fruit. And so it's, it's hard to get up every day and, and decide you're going to do that. So I think all those things contribute. I mean, there's more, but those, those would be some of the main ones that I see. Mm. Super helpful, man. I, I want to highlight a couple of things that you said there. Um, one, if all we've ever known is the scorecard is come to a gathering, give your money, serve in a particular quote unquote ministry, which is usually confined to the events of the ch church gathered, you know, like children's ministry or things like that, then getting people to live an entirely different life is not just about Oh, give them the the new way to do it, but they've got to unlearn a whole bunch of stuff. I, I liken it to growing up playing uh, American or Canadian football, and then all of a sudden someone sends you to Spain and they invite you to play football as the world knows it, which is with your foot. Some call that soccer, and like you've got to completely learn like new rules, new game, new scorecard. Like everything is completely different, and. And it, I think that's similar to what's going on in the church is that we're going like, wait a minute, the scorecard was never a gathering. The scorecard was never a budget that gets met, a, a building that was purchased or managed or staff that's funded well. The scorecard was always make disciples who make disciples send people on mission in everyday life. Like that was a scorecard and and that was the game. Like that was the the play. And and so I think in a lot of ways we we've got to get people out of I'll, I'll keep using the sport metaphor out of out of the the locker room where we just do chalk talks about what it yeah. is and we actually have to get them in the field practicing uh, yeah. what it really really looks like. Yeah, I was just gonna say, and I, I take a lot of joy in seeing you know we call at West Village we call it like a third conversion. So conversion one to Jesus, conversion two to a church, and conversion three is to, to Jesus's mission. And so we get people that will, um, they'll come in on a Sunday morning because uh, they heard about our church or whatever, and uh, they'll stick around. And then seeing them like actually like come alive and enter into the mission field and enter into the disciple making and seeing them laying hands on people, praying for their neighbors and seeing them baptize uh you know, their friends or their coworkers, like, it's beautiful. Like I remember one story, uh, you know, a couple showed up, they came for a few weeks. They happened to come and we were just in the midst of preaching a little bit, like this kind of stuff, like we're going through a vision series and she came out and, uh, Beth came out and she was in tears and she said, uh, Chris, she said, I have been in church my whole life, like uh, more or less born in the church. She was, I don't think I've ever made a disciple. Mm. Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help me learn how to do this? It's like, yes, this is this is a person we can work with. And now her and her husband, Kevin, are part of one of our most vibrant missional communities working with new Canadians and seeing like just ridiculous spiritual fruit using their gifts, their shepherds, their teachers, and just loving people well. And it's beautiful to see that, you know? It's beautiful to see them serving in the church. She also serves on our finance team and helps with some of that stuff. And that's that's cool. That's great. We need people to do that. It keeps me out of jail, you know? But um, <laughs> but we, what I really get fired up about is just seeing her hanging out with people who are not followers of Jesus and doing things like Story of God or Discovery Bible Study with Muslim couples and seeing them move closer to Christ and, you know, practicing hospitality and hosting parties and, you know, they have a, an apartment that they're letting a single mom or they let a single mom stay in, um, like just some really awesome stuff. And that's where you're like, OK, uh, like this is what I signed up for, you know, when I wanted to get into this. So, yeah, it, it, mm. it, 
when it ha- it's hard, but when it when you can break through, it is extremely fruitful and beautiful to see. You know, you said some things there that I'm going to draw out just simply because I don't want to move past it, and I don't want our listeners to miss it. And you made the statement to see others baptize their friends. And I don't want to slip past that because in a lot of churches, the only people who get to baptize are the quote unquote professional clergy. Yeah. You know, it's the paid staff. So like <laughs> you, even just that statement, she's walking back on like, I've never made a disciple. Well, she's watching a church that's normalizing everybody, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, which is Jesus' commission yeah. to every every Christian, not just the quote unquote church and its clergy, but to the, the believers, these were, this was to his disciples yeah. and, uh, and to teach them to obey everything I commanded you assumes every subsequent disciple is being trained in the same process. And so what I love is the culture of your church and the expression of baptism. And even just the stories that are being told were clarifying to her what the scorecard is. So then she can sit back and go like, oh, wait a minute, I've never done what you're talking about. Right. I've been in the church my whole life. I've never done that. I've never made a disciple. And I love that because you're normalizing it for the people of God so that the expectation is every Christian sitting there going like, why am I not in the game? Yeah, What's going on? So I don't want to miss that because I think, I think churches are sending signals without knowing it that everybody's doing a great job and they're actually being obedient because they show up, they give, and they serve in a ministry in on a Sunday. And then they get frustrated and always making disciples. But if your scorecard and your culture and your celebration keeps telling them, watch us do it and we'll do it for you, then don't ever expect them to do it. Yeah, and I would even just like, you know, just dovetail that by by encouraging you know anyone who's listening to this that's maybe considering, maybe just challenged by this. Just take an audit of your language, even you know, yeah, um, the language that you use, because like you said, those are all tells or cues to people about what are valued. So even like this is so silly, Jeff. It's so silly, but it's true. It's just it's a thing. Like when you wake up on a Sunday morning and you're like, I am going to go to church. You know, like we we call it we call our Sunday morning we call it the gathering. This is when the church gathers. You know, and the joke is if you say I'm going to go to church, uh, you have to put you know five dollars in the the West Village swear jar. You know, like because we don't go to <laughs> love it. And and we start every Sunday by saying that exact thing. Welcome to the gathering of West Village Church. Like you know, and we talk about our family identity. We talk about how the church is more than a building, more than an event. And, and so just all those little things, I think, are are forming and shaping our culture and our DNA. They're discipling people. I mean, ultimately, the church is a disciple-making community, and we're forming them in the ways that we think they should be formed. And so I think it's really helpful for us just to be really, like, ruthlessly honest and intentional about our language, our rhythms, our scorecards, you know, what we celebrate, all those things. Yeah, that's all huge, man. That's good. Well, I, I'm curious, do you— is there anything else around um, these struggles that you are facing that you found to be helpful? Like, how are you addressing the fact that a lot of people haven't been trained or they don't know, they've never been in this kind of culture, or maybe they're in, in a highly affluent? I mean, that's where I'm at. Seattle, the greater Seattle area and where you're at, are, as you know, are pretty similar in terms of highly secular, very affluent. Um, we're right around 3% as well uh, at this play, at this stage um, in terms of involvement in a church. 
So I know not not everybody's in our context, but it's coming soon to a theater near you. Like yeah. it's like when I interact with Charleston, this is in the south of the United States, you know, southeast on the coast. Charleston leaders, they're presently at 8%. Right. Um, that's crazy, mm-hmm. but that's where we're headed uh, in North America. Canada, I think, is ahead of us in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, how are you addressing some of those struggles that you identified? Yeah, I mean... This is uh, this is new for us. Uh, this this response uh, in the last year, but but I think it's uh, it's one that's been bearing a lot of fruit, both internally and externally. And man, we have just been convicted of our need to pray, like pray, 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 pray. So we have been pressing in hard to uh, rhythms of fasting and praying, um, things like prayer walking. Uh, so we're just we're seeing a lot more of our missional communities and our missionaries who are prayer walking their mission field regularly. We have a lot more uh, weekly times of fasting within our missional communities and our missionaries, and then and then praying and interceding for for the mission field. Um, we're we're seeing a lot more like just an openness, even as a church, to prayer. Like I know that sounds really silly to say, but I think um, in the past we may have been. You know, we may have been dependent on um, talent, skill, ability, methodology, and and felt like we we could figure it out, like we could crack the code. And just realizing after twelve years, like God's been good and our church is healthy and and all that. But it's like uh, you know, we want more. We want more. We believe Jesus has more for the city and for our church. And I think prayer, like just you know, even I mean, obviously, I think it it works in the sense of. Uh, the Spirit of God, like we're we're joining Him in His mission, not asking Him to join us in ours, and so it just makes us more aware of where He's at work. But I think it also reminds us of our deep need and dependency uh, as a church and as missionaries and as disciple makers, and then as missional communities go out. Like we just need to pray, we need to pray, we need to pray, and so that has been. And and it's weird, you know. I don't know. Again, this is totally anecdotal, Jeff, uh, but like you know, you, and maybe you can draw a straight line. I don't know. You can correct my theology here, but we just see disproportionate amounts of fruit in areas, you know, with our missional communities and missionaries where there's disproportionate amounts of prayer. I mean, just, just mm-hmm. honestly, where people are praying and listening to the spirit. And, uh, you know, one of the ways we train our people to pray, uh, we stole this from our friends at the KC underground, uh, but it's just listening prayer, kingdom prayer, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in God, where are you at work? You're here. You're here in this neighborhood or this school. You're working. You're pursuing people. Help us to see. And then the breathe out prayer is how can we join? And we just encourage our people to listen and then just obey. Just do, you know, if Jesus leads you a person, go do it. Like obey. And uh, where we're seeing people practice that, we're actually seeing more fruit. And uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. I mean, there's other like practical things in terms of like structures and training that we do. That's probably less helpful for a podcast environment, but but that that growing angst of like Jesus, we need you, we want to see you work. Mm. I would say has been the biggest the biggest thing to helping us overcome some of these barriers. I'd say that's a pretty straight line. Jesus said, "Wait for power on high, and then you'll be my witnesses." Like uh, throughout the entire book of Acts, it's constantly <clears throat> while they were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart." You know, it's like yeah. I mean, everything was like I mean, if, if Jesus is building his church, then we've got to listen to the one who's building his church to tell us what to do. Where do we 
where do we go next? What foundation would you want us to lay next? And Absolutely. so I, I'm just, I agree with you fully. I, a fun little story that just popped in my head as you were saying that we have, you know, as you know, Chris, our listeners may not know this, but as you know, we, we've been leading a small little church in our, in our home, you know, um, a body of believers and some non-Christians who have joined us. And uh, it's really been a lot of fun and getting to see lights come on for the people who are don't yet know Jesus, but are getting to know him through our little community. And one of the college girls that's in our our church um, shared recently, because she went on a Dominican Republic um, uh, mission trip with, she was, she was part of the University of Washington. She goes to SBU, Seattle Pacific, but she is in a community that's kind of in uh, college students from all around there. And they went with another church, I guess, on this mission trip. And she came back and she said it was the most amazing uh, like seven or eight days of her life. And she said, and I said, you know, she was sharing this with our, our group uh, that gathers in our home. I said, why is that? And she said, well, we determined on the front end that we were just going to say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And whatever he said, we would do it. And she said, the, the agreement that we were going to say yes to whatever he said was the most freeing experience of her head in my life. Hmm. She's like, because we just we just actually did whatever the spirit led us to do and in doing it we were just we experienced abundant life she said it was like the greatest week of her life and i said what you actually experience is just abiding in the vine like that's that's john 15 like if you abide in me and i in you you'll bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing and and she said man i just want that all the time. Well, we've been checking in with her. It's been several months since that trip. And she's like, I came back home and thought I would keep continuing that. But the problem is everything around us tells us not to ask, Lord, what do you want us to do? And I'll just do whatever. It's like she slipped right back. And she's confessing this and repenting of it and wanting to go back. She's like, if only we live that way all the time, what would life be like? And that really is the invitation to God's people. There. You're right. We could talk about strategies and training and systems and all those things are helpful. But if we aren't abiding, if we aren't listening, we aren't doing the Kansas City Underground breathe in, breathe out process, then who? what are we doing? Who are we listening to? Of course, we're not going to see fruit. <laughs> so, I mean, I just want to, I want to just put a big exclamation point on what you just said. In some ways, it really is that simple. We would learn to listen to the Spirit of God and then obey whatever He tells us to do. Jesus said, I'll give you the words. I'll give you the power. I'll open the doors. Like, He'll do the work if we'll just listen and follow Him. So Totally. That's good, man. I think I just got saved, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I was so encouraged because here's this like 19-year-old girl who is speaking into our little church. Just the reality of what you read in Acts. Yeah. It was like she got to experience what the early church got to experience, which is why a lot of people go on mission trips because they're like, oh my goodness, that was amazing. And yeah. the problem is, is like we forget that life is the mission trip. Yeah. Here's, we just live like that every day. Here's here's a real simple story that I just heard uh, eight or nine days ago. We're, so we're, we're in the midst of a training cohort right now. It's called Foundations to Mission. And it's one of the trainings we use to train our missionaries and disciple makers. And so the first two weeks are on extraordinary prayer and fasting. First week is abiding, just like you talked about. The next week is what we call harvest prayer. So we're, we're training this and uh, there's this couple in there, Dean and Don, and, you know, older couple, uh, retired. 
Uh, he served as an elder in their previous church. They've been a part of West Village now for probably two or three years. And this is all very new for them, but they are just like, you know, they, they would, uh, they're just very willing to try. You know, they're just this, they're the kind of people you want in your church because they just are so great. So anyway, they've just started this prayer walking thing. And, and so we were meeting and when we meet for our training, first thing I start with is like, hey, what's Jesus been doing? Like, we're, we're trying to see him in every, everywhere we go, all of life, like, and if it's quiet, I'm like, guys, we weren't abiding. Like we didn't, like he was doing stuff. We just weren't paying attention, right? So now they like come like with a story. Everyone's got to come with a story. So they don't, they don't feel silly. But anyway, Dean just, uh, or sorry, Dawn shares this story that her and Dean were prayer walking their neighborhood. And this is new for them. And she tells a story of a baby deer. Uh, this is a Vancouver Island story, okay? A baby deer was trapped underneath a car. And so those commotion as they're prayer walking, they go over, they realize... There's this baby deer trapped under the car. You know, they all kind of help out or whatever. And and they leave and the deer, they, they find out later the deer did get out. And, and so as Dawn is telling this story, she she says, you know, I feel like I, uh, I missed an opportunity. I should have asked. She literally said, I felt like I was supposed to ask if I could pray for the deer. Like just this lady that was telling us, can I pray for the deer? And she's like, I got scared and I didn't. And I feel, I feel bad. Like she feels guilt or shame or whatever. And so, so I just, I gospeled her in that moment. I'm like, it's okay. Like, you know, like we fail. Jesus is good. He's, he's Lord of the harvest. This isn't the end of the story. These are your neighbors. You're going to see them again. I said, there may even be a moment of redemption here where, where you can just go back and ask. Uh, well, cause what she started, part of the story was she, she didn't pray with the lady, but she prayed after she prayed after for the deer. I said, so, so, uh, Don, you can go knock on the door and ask what happened with the deer. The lady tells you the deer got out and you can just tell your neighbor like, oh, that's amazing. Cause you know, after like we were prayer walking and after I left, I felt like Jesus wanted me to pray for the deer. I know that might sound silly, but that's what I did. I prayed for the deer, the deer got out. That's amazing. I said, and just imagine the fruit that might come from this. Cause now your neighbor knows, oh, there's a couple in our neighborhood who are people that pray. And if she gets sick or something bad happens, or if they have a, like the spirit of God starts like, you know, pursuing them and they have spiritual questions, like where are they going to go? They're going to go to you, right? If she finds out she has cancer or something and she wants prayer, she's going to go knock on your door and say, will you pray for me? And you're going to have all these opportunities. And so it was even just a simple exercise of prayer walking, but then even not even like not obeying, right? They, they didn't obey, but then she, She's going to go back and make right what, you know, and, and see this moment of redemption here where she's going to actually build it by God's grace, see more discipleship fruit in her, in her neighborhood. So real simple, not hard, not complicated. Don't need a Bible college degree. Uh, don't need to read a fancy book. Just like, listen here, obey, you know? Yes. So good. Well, Chris, we're coming to an end. If you could encourage our listeners with, you know, maybe a, a final word, what would you want to say to them? Yeah. I mean, I just think that, um, honestly, I, I feel like what we talked about here with, with prayer fasting, um, I, I just see that as like such an integral part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Like I know for me in the last couple of years, this has just been a transforming journey. Um, and so I would just encourage if you're a church leader and you're listening to this, like what would it look like to just start to take small stuff? It's real hard to like, make wholesale changes in your church culture. But what would it look like to start just taking small steps to celebrate like the everyday stuff of life, the everyday disciple making fruit, like the prayer walking, the, the obeying, the like seeing, um, 
you know, people in your church family starting to practice hospitality in their neighborhoods and, and really just like celebrate those things. Tell stories about those things. If you yourself are not practicing those things, like start practicing them because um, I, I honestly, it is, I'll just say this, it is not the quickest and fastest way to grow your church. That is for sure. But it is, for me at least, has been the most life-giving ministry that I've ever been a part of is just seeing the church activated for the work that Jesus has set apart for them to do. Great. Man, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you're listening, just so you know, um, we're going to do more of this. We're going to take a little break uh, for July so our team can take a break. So we'll be back in August. This is the last episode of June. And um, uh, Chris, I'm probably going to want to have you back maybe in a year or two just to hear more and more of the stories and how you guys adjust to the reality of a challenging culture where it's not altogether easy. Um, So... Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, if you have any questions or you're looking for more resources or help, just reach out to us at hello at saturatetheworld.com. Also, if you're listening and you want to access some of the resources that we've created, we have a whole subscription-based resource bank and library at saturatetheworld.com. You can get a two-week free uh, trial membership with a coupon code, and that coupon code is PODCAST2023. So that's all lowercase letters with no spaces, PODCAST2023. And then lastly, if you would love to be not just someone who might get resources from Saturate, but partner with us to pray for the work that we're doing around the country, around the world, we would love to invite you to pray with us. Uh, I send out every couple of weeks a text to let people know about what we're doing and specifically what I'm doing. So I need your prayer. I, similar to what Chris said, man, I think the number one priority is pray. And so if you would love to pray for our work, uh, send us an email at hello at saturatetheworld.com. Just say, hey, I want to be on the prayer text that Jeff sends out and we'll we'll connect you to that so you can pray for us. And then there are some of you that know that we completely fundraise for the work we do. If you feel led to give, you can do that at saturatetheworld.com and then just hit the the give tab. We definitely uh, would love your support in any way possible. Again, thanks for being with us. We hope that you're served well by this podcast and other resources. Have a great summer and we'll see you in August.